Thank you, Scott. Well, First Baptist Church of Tupelo is a going church, and you just got to see that a few moments ago with the Hawaiian mission trip, and I hope that that inspires you to be a part of a mission trip soon. We have a mission trip that is leaving to go to Cuba here in just a, a short while, and there'll be other opportunities, so you can see our missions pastor, Lee Allred, about that. If you'd like more information, of course, you could always call the church office, and then also just be watching the bulletin as we talk about other opportunities to go and serve. And just also the, the wonderful thing about the Hawaiian mission trip is the opportunity to serve as a family. So pray about that. Think about that and see how God would have you to be involved as we go to the nations here from First Baptist Church of Tupelo. I want to invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word this morning, your copy of the Lord's Word this morning, and turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. So I want to talk this morning about this subject. Unforgiveness is a heart not beating. Unforgiveness is a heart not beating. So forgiveness is one of those topics that you love to talk about when you need to be forgiven. And nobody wants to hear about when you need to forgive somebody else. I talked to somebody after the first service. He said, man, that was such a hard word to hear. I said, well, yeah, unless you need to be forgiven, <laughs> then it's a, a very sweet word. But uh, he said, well, he said, it came hard to me. He said, I need to forgive somebody. So we can all relate to the word of God this morning. We have been in this series about eliminating the drama out of our lives and certainly out of our church, so to speak. Now, we're never going to completely rid drama from the church, from our lives, but as the people of God, we are to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, for they shall be called the sons of God, the children of God. These are the people, we are to be the people that create peace in the world because the pot is constantly churning in our world today. You know, we, we blame it and say, well, this generation is just, you know, more judgmental or it's just different than it used to be years ago or whatever. It's just social media. It's connectivity. It would have always been as bad as it is today if we had always had, always had 24-7 newsreels and Snapchat and text messaging, Facebook, Instagram, so on and so forth. I'm not saying all those things are bad. Good can be accomplished through each of them, but also they can be used to keep the pot churning and it causes drama and stuff to come up between friends and even between the people of God. So the first week we talked about what's the solution for drama. Well, in order to come to God, do you remember? You must come to God's kingdom as a child. Child, remember, does not mean innocence. It means approaching God as totally dependent upon him. So what does that mean? That means we're all here for the same reason. We're totally dependent upon Jesus. Some of us are doing better at life than others, but it doesn't matter. You're not here because of how you're doing you're here because of what Jesus has done for you. And if we start there at that building block of keeping peace amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we realize we're all here for the same reason, and the reason is not we're good, it's because Jesus is good. And that's why we're here. That's, that's the first step of eliminating drama. The second one is to realize how much God's heart. We've talked about God's heart for us, even with the seriousness of sin and how 
God doesn't want anyone to reject him in unbelief or lead anyone else into unbelief. And God is willing, and he told the parable, do you remember, of the lost sheep, the one sheep that wandered away, and the shepherd left the 99 on the hillside and went after the one sheep to demonstrate God's heart for people who are in sin. So what does that mean? Is that as we remember, we approach God totally dependent upon him to be in his kingdom. But the next thing is, is that when we think about our brothers and sisters, maybe we've got a brother or sister who's faltering, stuff like that. We are to have the heart of the shepherd that was willing to leave the 99 safe on the hillside and go after just the one because everyone truly matters to God. That's what we talked about. Then last week we talked about the plan and the steps for reconciliation with a brother or sister. When you have a falling out, what do you do? We talked about those steps, and we'll look at it again in just a second. But you confront them, you do so gently for the purpose of restoration. Do you remember last week we talked about forgiveness and confrontation? Do not confront until you are ready to forgive. Because confrontation is always for the purpose of reconciliation, not shaming, not uh, trying to punish someone or to be punitive or anything like that or to bring justice. This week, now Peter, we're going to read about him. He has just heard all of this stuff. All right, I've got to come to God as a child. I've got to have God's heart for wayward people. And I need to be careful not to lead people into waywardness. But then also, I need to be reconciled with my brothers and sisters in Christ. He now has a question. All right? He's thinking here, all right, how often am I going to have to do this? Because think about the people you live with or do life with. You're going to have to forgive them potentially a lot. And he's trying to work it out like uh okay it's okay to be somewhat okay with each other and but how do we end up doing life together that one of my favorite movies in fact i'm persuaded it's the disney movie that comes close to portraying the gospel more than any other one and it's the original lion king there is no other lion king there's only the original but the original Lion King, where there's a scene where Simba, the lion, is reunited with his childhood sweetheart, Nala, and they're just lovebirds, and there's this war dog named Pumbaa, this meerkat, or whatever it's called, named Timon, and Nala wants to eat Pumbaa, but Nala is also in love with Simba. So Timon, the meerkat, asks a question, says, okay, you're in love with him, and he's in love with you, but she wants to eat your friend. She wants to eat him, and everybody's just okay with this. Peter, this is that kind of objection. Like, hey, just like everybody's just kind of like, okay here? Like, we're just supposed to just forgive? Well, that picks up our story. Look in verse number 21. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say uh, to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. And then he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he begun to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant 
fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place when his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and you and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, so let's talk about it this morning. Refusal to forgive is more serious than you think. Refusal to forgive is more serious than you think. Couple observations from this whole series and bringing it home now as we finish out Matthew 18. Radical rescue and reconciliation requires radical forgiveness. Radical rescue and reconciliation requires radical forgiveness. Remember, Jesus has just revealed God's heart for radical rescue. You remember the story? We talked about it a moment ago. Matthew 18, 12 through 14. He says, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Wait a second. A rat, that's a radical rescue. Willing to go after one even if you're exposing the 99? That is not reasonable. You're putting the 99 at risk to go after one. You've just got to count the cost, count your loss, and move on. No, Jesus says that's, that may be how business works in some situations, but that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. That's not how my father's business works. Jesus has just revealed God's heart for radical rescue. But then also, Jesus has just revealed the guide for radical reconciliation. He has just revealed a guide for radical reconciliation. We talked about it last week. That you confront when you're ready to forgive. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So it ends. If you say, hey, look, this has come up. And he says, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have wounded you in that way. Please forgive me. You're to forgive him, and it's over. It ends. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, if he refuses to listen to them. So what's the, what's the implication? Again, it's all about reconciliation. If you take a group to deal with this situation, and he's like, 
listen, I'm sorry, I messed up. It's over. You drop it. You move on. You forgive him from your heart. It's done. It's over with. And then if he doesn't listen to them, remember the next part? Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church. So what does that mean? The church is assembled to help this reconciliation. It's not assembled to bring punishment. It's to help the reconciliation. And he says, listen, if the guy doesn't or the girl doesn't listen even to the church, then you are to let him be as to you a Gentile or tax collector. Here's our problem. When people hurt us, we jump immediately to the last step. Well, you are a Gentile or a tax collector to me because you have hurt me. Jesus says that is only the last step, not the first step. You have to go through this process of reconciliation. And you say, well, wait a second. If they say they're sorry and they say that they were wrong, I'm just supposed to just like let it go? Yeah. You're like, well, that's not real reasonable. That's radical. Exactly. Radical rescue and reconciliation requires radical forgiveness. How do you let something go after someone has deeply wounded you? Well, Jesus now reveals the only way to pursue radical rescue and radical reconciliation is with a heart of radical forgiveness. With a heart of radical forgiveness. Now, listen. Even Secular society realizes forgiveness is a good thing, all right? For instance, you know this person? It's one person famously said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That doesn't come from the book of Proverbs, even though it's pretty good. It comes from Carrie Fisher. Anybody know who Carrie Fisher is? Princess Leia, right, Star Wars. All right, so even Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher, the actress, she was not a believer and not a practicer of any, any faith. She was agnostic. Even Princess Leia acknowledges, yeah, forgiveness is a good idea. Unforgiveness is a bad idea. The whole world around us acknowledges, yeah, you got, you got to let stuff go and move on. You know, like just shake it off, move on. You, you just it. Just don't hold that stuff. It'll poison you. It'll kill you. Yeah, but this is more than pragmatic forgiveness. This is radical forgiveness. Look at the last verse of chapter 18. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is more than just shaking it off and moving on. You actually have to internally let it go and stop holding it over their head. So, Jesus reveals the only way to pursue radical rescue and radical reconciliation is with a heart of radical forgiveness. How do you get a heart then that is able to forgive people like this? Because Peter is like, so, how many times am I going to have to forgive like this? Because this is pretty radical. Peter's, Peter's saying, listen, let's be reasonable. The Jewish rabbis taught that three times, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, what is it? Shame on me. Fool me three times and you're a really bad person, right? So, and maybe I'm just stupid. But people, people listening to this, Peter hears this radical reconciliation of like, something comes up and it's supposed to go to my brother and let it go. Like, well, Jesus, how many times are we going to do this? Seven times. You know, wonder if this is kind of like the Sunday school answer. Because it's, it's seven is like God's number. It's perfect. 
And so he's probably thinking, I've got it right here. And Jesus says, nope, not seven times. I say to you, 77 times. Or another translation is 70 times seven. Whoa. That is so far beyond reasonable to anybody in secular society because this is how secular society works. You forgive people, but if they keep hurting you, you have to break it off. Separate yourself from that person because you will only wound yourself if you continue to forgive them. But that's not the way Jesus says to forgive. So he tells a parable to illustrate this story. And the parable details can be modernized for our understanding. So you heard the parable, let's modernize it a little bit. The word of God is always alive, but our understanding is not always alive. So let me help you a little bit. The servants in this story, there's one that owes 10,000 talents, and there's one that owes 100 denarii, and then there are other servants in the story that hear about the issue. Remember the 10,000 talent owing servant, remember this, he was forgiven his debt from the king. The 100 denarii owing servant to the first servant was not forgiven from the servant who had just been forgiven the 10,000 talents. And then the other servants heard about it and said, hey, this, this ain't right. This is, this, this is messed up. So servants are not slaves. The best way to understand this, according to biblical, biblical commentators, is that they are employees for the king or perhaps tax collectors. And they were in charge of collecting tax revenue over certain regions. That this is likely how the original hearers would have understood a servant to the king who was collecting debts is someone who is collecting the financial revenue, the tax revenue for the king. So they had to meet their quotas to give it to the king. And this first guy's quota was 10,000 talents and he didn't have to show for it. So the king, because he didn't collect it properly or didn't have it to give to the king, says, all right, I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going to throw your wife in jail, all those things, put you all in debtor's prison. So we should understand the servants in that way, as employees for the king. Also, the second servant is to be understood also as an employee, but likely he was a tax collector who served underneath the first. So likely, so you had this one guy who's responsible for the 10,000 talent debt, and then he would have had other guys work under him to help collect the debt together. So think of these two guys as both employees. They both work for the king. Let's just, for our understanding, because we don't think about kings, let's just think of the king as like a business owner. They both work for the guy who owns this business, and one of these guys has a quota to meet for his boss that is 10,000 talents, and the second one, the second employee, is working for a manager underneath the business owner, so to speak, and this manager is owed a hundred denarii, so then he could meet his quota. Hopefully it's starting to make sense. So let's deal with the values because we don't use denarii anymore. You're like, is that crypto or something? Like maybe, I don't know. But one denarius is a laborer's daily wage and one talent is 6,000 denarii. Now, we don't use denarii anymore so it escapes us what this parable is talking about. So I've modernized it. I took the average income in Tupelo for 2021-2022. Based on the average income in Tupelo, 
100 denarii is $13,000. If you take average income in Tupelo, and then you split it up, and you divide it out, 100 denarii, $13,000. By the way, no small thing, right? I mean, for instance, you don't just say to your buddy, oh man, I forgot my wallet. Can I borrow 13 grand? Like, uh, okay, like, hey, help me understand what's, what's going on here. Like, if somebody owes you $13,000, like, that's no small thing, right? I mean, it's $13,000. I mean, to some of us, it may be pennies, but I mean, but still, it's $13,000. You can do a lot with $13,000. And this second servant owed the first servant, according to this story, modernizing the monetary values, 2022 value currency, the second servant owed the first servant $13,000. Now, is it reasonable for the first guy to want the $13,000 paid back? Well, that's not unreasonable. We all get that. That's like not chump change. But here's what just happened. This guy had just been forgiven a debt by the business owner, the king, of something else. According to 2022, 21, 2022, 10,000 talents is the equivalent in 2022 of $10,000 billion dollars okay this guy think about this had made a 10 billion dollar mistake and now for the king to forgive 10 billion dollars worth of mistake that means the king is going to suffer loss of 10 billion dollars because forgiveness always costs and it costs as much of the, as the offense does. So, let's imagine it's a really big company, all right? We don't, we don't have any companies of, of that size around here, all right, that would be able to commit a $10 billion mistake. But there was, let's say, there's a business owner, and he's a massive company, and one of his managers makes a $10 billion mistake. And he says, listen, you're fired. I'm going to bankrupt you. It's over. Like, I'm going to file charges against you for negligence. You've cost the money. And then what happens? The guy says, oh, listen, I'm sorry. I'll pay it back, please. And the business owner is moved with compassion. And he's like, all right, I'll forgive you. Now, that's amazing thought to be forgiven $10 billion. But nonetheless, it happened here in our story. So let's put this in perspective. $13,000 is no chump change, but compared to $10 billion? Oh, that changes the story, doesn't it? So what are the truths that are revealed in this passage? So here they are. Let me give them to you quickly. First is this. As humans, we naturally feel forgiveness should be reasonable, but not radical. We naturally feel that forgiveness should be reasonable but not radical. Like I said, even secular society says your life will be better if you forgive people. But the kind of forgiveness Jesus is expecting of us is radical forgiveness, even for big stuff. So, as humans, we naturally feel forgiveness should be reasonable but not radical. Let me reread the parable to you so you can hear it with 2022 ears. Therefore, my father's business is like this. My father, who owned the company, decided to settle his account with his managers. 
And when he began to settle his accounts, it came to his attention that one of his managers had a $10 billion deficit that had cost the company $10 billion. And when he found this, he called his manager in and said, listen, you've cost me and my company $10 billion. That's money out of the my family, money out of this business, like we can't grow, like $10 billion. You're going to be punished for this. You're going to lose your job. I'm going to, I'm going to sue you. You're going to, like, it's going to be bad for you. So the manager fell down on his knees and said, boss, I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm sorry. Forgive me. So the business owner was moved with compassion and said, you know what? I'll forgive you. Don't worry about it. I'll pay for this. Go on, be about your business. So the manager who had just been forgiven this $10 billion is walking away and he's thinking about what has just happened. And then he, and he walks and sees a guy, another manager in the company that works underneath him. And he remembered that this man owed him $13,000. And it was true. It was a real thing. And that was $13,000 that he could have used either for his business or maybe to benefit his family and now he goes up to him and he says listen you need to pay me what you owe me I'm, I need that 13 grand now and then the other manager says oh man just just give me some time I'll pay it back he said no I want it now so I, I can't give it to you right now I don't have it no, I want it now you, you know what I'm going to have you arrested in fact I'm going to put you you have stolen from me my, you better get an attorney. It's time to lawyer up. And then all the other people that work in the company hear about this. And they think, what's wrong with this guy? He was just forgiven a $10 billion mistake. And he couldn't forgive a fellow co-worker a $13,000 mistake. Thirteen grand is no chump change. But compared to $10 billion... This is, this is not my story. This is Jesus' story. So what does the business owner do? He calls the manager back in and says, what the heck is wrong with you, man? I forgave you all of that, and you can't go out and forgive and have mercy on your fellow co co-worker? Good grief. Now, you pay back everything you owe me. Get, get out of here. That's the story. So as humans, we... Naturally, feel forgiveness should be reasonable, but not radical. But Jesus tells a different story. Secondly, is this. As humans, it's difficult to understand our debt owed to God. It's hard for us to understand a 10,000 talent debt, a $10 billion debt. Like if I gave you $10 billion today, could you even spend it? Like I'm not talking about investing it because, you know, we could always just shove it all in investments. But no, actually spend it. $10 billion, you know how much money that is? Like, wow, I'll buy a super yacht. Jeff Bezos has a super mega yacht, one of the richest men in the world, $500 million. You haven't spent a billion dollars yet, even if you buy Jeff Bezos' yacht. That's how much money $10 billion is. How would you spend something like that? It's an inconceivable amount for most of us. We just can't get our minds. It's just a theoretical thing. There's, there's, I think there's one billionaire in the state of Mississippi. One. And we're talking about $10 billion. That's a lot of money. But that's the amount that Jesus, is used, Jesus uses to describe 
our debt that we've been forgiven by God. So, as humans, it's difficult to understand our debt owed to God. Even though we owe a great debt because He's a holy God and we're sinful and we've sinned against the King of Heaven, it's so hard for us to even get our minds around the debt that we owe. And with God, radical forgiveness without retribution is real. What's another thing to realize here? He was forgiven a $10 billion debt. Jesus tells this story to demonstrate how God and love, God loves and forgives you and me. Because you're like, listen, Brother Matt, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. It's not worth $10 billion worth of trouble. And if you have, we'll talk after church. Nobody has done $10 billion worth of trouble. Yet Jesus tells his story about forgiveness by saying, the father, the king, was willing to forgive a $10 billion debt. With God, radical forgiveness without retribution is real. A few weeks ago, I was going to a wedding down in Starkville, Mississippi. You ever heard of that place? So Starkville, Mississippi, and I went down there, and I was early, and I needed uh, some, something to do. And school's out, and there's no sporting events. There was just not an abundance of things to do in Starkville, at least the time when I was there. So anyway, I went to the campus library, and at the top is an amazing thing. It's the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Library. It's amazing. so well done. Of course, the campus is beautiful. But this is like a, a crown that sits on top of the library. Highly recommend going to Startville. Check this out. It's worth your time. So General Grant, who became President Grant, was the chief union officer of the armed forces during the Civil War. And later became president. And as you walk through the museum, the presidential library, it talks about his life, and there was one thing that he did that stood out from everything else, and it's mentioned over and over again in the Presidential Library. And it was the surrender at the Appomattox Courthouse that ended, officially, the Civil War, where General Lee went, the chief commander of the Confederate forces, and he was going to surrender his sword, surrender the Union Army, to end there at Appomattox Courthouse, to end the war for good there in 1865. So, Lee walks in. He walks in with his aide. He has his sword. General Lee has no idea what's about to happen. Are they going to execute us? Are they going to throw us in prison camps? Are, are they going to kill the officers? Um, are we going to be taken captive to the north? We don't know. General Grant tells General Lee, here's my terms of surrender. Throw down your primary weapon. Keep your sidearms because you got to have something to protect yourself on the way home. Keep your horses. And then here's some food. Now go home and rebuild your farms and live your life. General Lee was amazed. How could after such tenacious fighting could this union general say boys just throw down your rifles keep your sidearms 
Go back and rebuild your lives. How could that happen? And then when Lee tried to surrender his sword to Grant, Grant refused his sword, said, you keep the sword. And then as Lee turned to walk out, Grant had his boys, his officers, snap to attention and pop General Lee, the defeated Southern general, a salute on the way out. That changed the heart of the nation. Now what's fascinating is when you go through General Lee's presidential library, not General Lee, uh, President Grant, General Grant's presidential library, it talks about his funeral was one of the most well-attended funerals in the 1800s, more than President Lincoln. And people all over the South came. Even Mississippi politicians came to pay memorial to General Grant. Why? This is the guy that oversaw the, the siege of Vicksburg. How is like this is the this is the general of Shiloh? How is it? It was all because of this one act of forgiveness. It's worth the trip going to see. But here's what I'm saying. With radical forgiveness, God has forgiven you $10 billion worth of sin. And it's without retribution. He's not chasing you with a paddle. He's not trying to bring you down. He really has forgiven you. And he says, now go and live your life. This is how the grace of God works. Now, debts to others. What about those 13 grand things? They're real. And they cost. And they hurt. But they're not $10 billion. They're real. But they're not $10 billion. You see... The expectation for those who have received mercy is to be merciful. In fact, the king gets on to the servant. He said, listen, after I showed you so much mercy, why couldn't you go out and be merciful? What's wrong with you? Matthew 5 verse 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Friends, I'm not trying to downplay the harm that you or I may have received from another human being. It's real. Again, 13 grand ain't just no small thing. But we are never asked to forgive anyone more than God has forgiven us. You say, well, gosh, if I just forgive that, it will cost me. Duh, folks, that is definition forgiveness. Forgiveness is meaning you eat the cost to restore the relationship. That is what the cross is. He ate the cost of the $10 billion debt and went to Calvary and he offers us reconciliation. That's forgiveness. If you're waiting for forgiveness, well, I'll forgive you once you know, we kind of get even and balance out. That's justice. That's not forgiveness. It's not the gospel. It's like I said last year, if that's your thing, you're at the wrong house. The courthouse is down the street. This is the church house. We were never asked to forgive anyone more than God has forgiven us. And here's the scary thing. We're almost done. God's forgiveness is contingent upon our forgiveness of others. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15, you know this. I'm going to start reading it. You'll know it. You could say it with me. 
Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts if we've also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's where we say amen. Amen. That's a great Lord's prayer. But when Jesus gave the original Lord's prayer, he immediately did some commentary right after the amen, so to speak. Notice what he says next. After Forgive us our debts if we've also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your, heaven, your Father forgive your trespasses. Whoa. Do you realize... That being forgiven by God, according to this text, is contingent on you forgiving others. You know, wait a second. We're Baptists. We believe that once you're saved, you're saved no matter what. I know, I do believe that, but it's right here in the black and white. Whether we can fit it into our theological system is not the point. It says if you can't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's how serious this is. So an unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron. We're talking about a serious, serious event. Look at the last, last verse of chapter 18. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's serious. And it can't just be, oh, I'm just letting it go. It has to be real forgiveness. Not only am I letting it go, I'm doing it from my heart. I'm not going to hold this over you anymore. You're like, Brother Matt, that's so radical. You're asking me to do something that is so radical. You don't know how this person has hurt me. You don't know what just an idiot they are. And they've hurt me so deeply. Listen, it's not my words. It's Jesus' words. Which leads me to the last thing. Our forgiveness of others is more than not bringing it up anymore. It is letting it go. How does God forgive you? How does God forgive me? Does he just say, well, we're just not going to talk about it anymore. No, he lets it go. And from his heart, it's gone. And this is how God expects you and me to forgive. You've heard the saying, well, you know, forgiving is not forgetting. Which so often, this is how that is. Well, you forgive but you don't forget. So you continue to fester and hold on to it in your heart. You know, you've forgiven them, but you stay mad at them. Jesus says, uh-uh. That's not the way I've called you to forgive. Because this is not how your heavenly father has forgiven you. So how do you forgive somebody this way? Here's the answer. The reason this dude messed up and couldn't forgive a $13,000 debt it's because he had forgotten or either not realized what it meant for him to be forgiven $10 billion. How do you forgive somebody like that who's hurt you so deeply? You remember how much God has forgiven you. And if you can't remember how much God has forgiven you, then you just have not realized how serious your sin was in the first place between you and God. This is the word of God.
These are not my words, these are Jesus's. But I want you to think about a world. Think about a church. Think about a family that's able to forgive this way. Nobody's holding on to anything. Nobody holding anything over anybody else's head. Everybody else is willing to pay for somebody else's mistake. Man, that kind of sounds like heaven. And that's what our church should be. A little piece of heaven right here on earth. And it starts with forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, help each of us see how much you love us and how forgiven we are. And then out of that, forgive our brothers, our sisters, our moms, our dads, our daughters, our sons, our co-workers, our bosses, our employees, our friends. Lord, you know all the other relationships that we have. Help us to forgive them from our heart. Because this is how you've forgiven us. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.